hooked, wrapped, and dished. All week long on webmasterradio.fm. Your destination for education and entertainment. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter & Boguski, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now, here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. Hopefully, by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and new ideas and have some fun along the way. I started at Crispin Porter and Boguski 10 years ago, and at the time we were a small creative shop of about 30 people with billings of around $40 million. Today we have main offices in Miami and Boulder, an office in L.A., and people working in the U.K., Spain, Germany, and Canada. We have almost 600 people working for CPB and billings of over $1 billion. Now, although this is not a CPB show, I would be crazy not to try and get as many people that are responsible for this amazing success story on the show. And today I am very honored to be joined by the man who is credited with the largest part of our growth, the person who figured out how CPB could grow and then was able to make it happen, President, CEO, and partner at Crispin Porter Boguski, Jeff Hicks. Jeff, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Katie. Glad to be here. So there's so many things that I want to talk to you about, but first, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about your career and how you got to CPB. Sure. Yeah, I, I found my way to CPB. It was interesting because I was actually on my way out of advertising. I, uh, had kind of seen a lot of the things that were happening in the industry and seen some uh, trends, which to me just seemed to be taking all of the fun and the parts that I really loved about the industry out of it. All of the strategic work, if you look back 10 years, all of the strategic work was being pulled out of advertising by consultants. All the media work was being pulled out by the unbundling of media. Um, And just the partnership part of of advertising, while it was creating opportunities in different ways for different types of businesses, the really depth of partnership and and, uh, and sort of brand uh, champion type of role, which was interesting to me, and the real strategic advisor type of role was, was sort of vanishing. And so as I looked at that and saw agencies really just becoming vendors of commercials, um, producing commercials is great and, and interesting, but it's only interesting when it addresses a strategic opportunity that you've uh, identified. And so for me, not being involved in the strategic part of it um, seemed like it would really rob uh, the, the part which I found to be most interesting. So I was on my way out of advertising because of this long-winded explanation, and um, <laughs> and was looking around and trying to sort out what to do. And, and, and in the course of that, I got to talking with, with Chuck Porter and with Alex Boguski and talking to them about trying to do something different and, and how strongly they felt that a really great, highly differentiated creative product could be something around which you could sort of rebuild a different uh, attack on the industry. And so uh, together we kind of joined hands and then 10 years ago uh, headed on this path. Well, let me ask you a question. So one of the things you, you, you just mentioned in this is that um, 
you saw that big advertising agencies were sort of becoming vendors of making commercials. There's so much talk today. You know, everybody says it all the time. The 30-second commercial is dead. What do you think? I mean, do you think that that's true or that's a lot of talk? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it has been something that's been certainly talked about and addressed a ton. The, the reality is, is still it is the and, and will be in probably, you know, for the next, I've started to say for the the end of my professional career, but you know, kind of looking into trying to pick a horizon that is is uh, is is long. And I'm 41 years old, so you think about it. You know, for another 20 years, will television continue to dominate? I think television will continue to dominate. What I think is changing is the way in which people uh, do view television and how they're going to interact with television. What is television? You know, the time shifting of of television. And so, I mean, I, while people will still be interacting with television 20 years from now, I think they'll be doing it in different ways because of, you know, the advent of technology, which we're already really beginning to see the, you know, sort of the embryonic stages of development right now on the same sort of idea. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the CP&B approach. I mean, and pitching. I mean, one of the main things, which we won't get into right now, because I try to shy away from truly controversial subjects. Uh-oh. But, uh, it's only fun it, if it's controversial. Right. Is, is, you know, what's been going on with Walmart. They hired a marketing chief, and then after a lengthy review, they picked an agency. Now, for reasons that are still coming out, and, you know, Walmart left that marketing chief go, and as well as their agency. We don't have to get into details about Walmart, but it is extremely visible, probably the most visible pitch of the year, and pitches for advertising are usually a huge part of advertising agencies' business, yet they eat up an enormous amount of time and money, and they don't always go well, as uh, would be a huge understatement in this Walmart case. The CPB has made a decision not to pitch anymore, and I wonder why you did that and what does that mean? We, we've uh, been involved in a lot of pitches. I mean, arguably the most important things that have happened to the agency have happened through pitches. You know, the truth account was a pitch. Um, many was a pitch. So, I mean, we're, we certainly understand the pitch process and we've been a part of it. And um, the decisions we've made, in, and this has really just been over the course of the last three to five years, we've, so, fortunately, we've been presented with a lot of opportunities where we haven't had to pitch, and that's, that's one piece of it. But I think the bigger piece than that, so put, putting that aside, is the pitch process is a process which was great, I believe, about 10 years ago. And while I don't think anyone's really been talking enough about this, I believe the pitch process has sort of run its course in terms of its effectiveness in replicating for a client um, a good sort of uh, sampling of an agency's uh, experience or potential. Mm -hmm. It used to be a really great process because really what clients were looking for was what's your ad, what's your slogan. And and the pitch process was about, well, you know, Team A came in and they had a jingle, and Team B came in and we loved their idea. It was cleans better with, you know, less muscle, and Team C had this idea. And, you know, and and it was very, very much about the campaign, and we were were hunting for a campaign. And I think right now marketing is not about just looking for an ad. There's no ad that is going to deliver that that giant turnaround for your business that people think possibly could come. It's a it's a it's a succession of, of consumer experiences and a and a and a, just a, a bombarding your consumers with continual interactions. That that's where momentum is created nowadays. And and the pitch process is not a great process for really replicating um, a, an experience with momentum. And I you know when we talk to clients, what we talk about is you know, get to know us, get to know our clients, um, talk with our clients, and, and let us, 
you know, begin to see how we could help you, but it doesn't necessarily need to involve us going away, working in, in without talking to you, without collaborating with you, and sort of somehow dreaming that we're going to come up with the, the giant answer and have an epiphany that is going to be something that makes you want to hire us. It just doesn't seem like a, it seems like a process which sort of has, has run its course. That's, that's a really interesting point, but you must need a really astute and forward-thinking client to realize that. I think you do. I think what happens though is more and more clients are, are sort of looking at it and they're being um, dissatisfied with the results that they're having. You know, they go through a review and they end up with an agency and nothing changes. And you know, what they realize is they the that the the vendor of commercials is they because they what they were re- really looking for was a new commercial was not the problem. The problem was the process and the model they were using to market, and that that was what's really uh, was obsolete. And they haven't changed that, and the results haven't changed. And so mm-hmm. what we talk to clients much more about is, well, we want to change your whole model, and we want to get involved and we want to collaborate with you on building a model that's appropriate for your business, but also, and most importantly, appropriate to how consumers are using media nowadays, which is vastly different than, you know, what's your, what's your ad in the Super Bowl going to be, and then you go away for, you know, the, the other 11 months of the year. Now, do you think that it's realistic to, for other agencies to try to be able to approach potential clients like that, or or you really have to be in a very specific situation to be able to do that? No, it's a it's a great question, and I I think I mean we we've been really really fortunate, and we're we're the first to say that with the 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 run that the agencies had, and that has has created a lot of attention and interest in the agency. But I really believe, and I encourage agencies when I talk to them all the time, you know, the the pitch process is in. in Incredibly, incredibly expensive, um, and it's just not a—it's just not a real beneficial process uh, for agencies. It's not a great way for them to showcase their work. And you know what? What we've done, and and we even did it along the way. Ten years is find you know small accounts, prove yourself, and then use that experience to continue to build and to leverage that for bigger opportunities. And and you know that's kind of the the story of how we've created this place. And and I think it's it's something that all companies, not just agencies, can. In value. Well, let me also ask you about one more thing since we're talking about, you know, this is so, this is weird because now I'm a mix of like CPB PR person and interviewer, but I, I think I'm pulling it off very nicely, wouldn't you very say? Very nice, very nice. <laughs> I can hardly notice the conflict, of, this, this giant conflict of interest is standing in the room with us here. It's almost, oh man, okay. Anyway, what, what but you know, I, I am so glad that you did join me because for whatever it's worth, so many people are interested in in hearing your thinking and what CPB is up to. So thank you for doing this. No, glad to be here. And uh, I know you don't like to sit still, so it's even more yeah. special. That's the hardest part. I wanted to ask you one more quick thing before we take a little break is that another thing that when people come to us and they're asking us about different things that we're thinking and ways that we do things differently is our approach to compensation. And... Um, could you talk a little bit about that, and particularly about taking a stake in in CPB's uh, clients, especially our our new uh, deal with Hager? Sure, and and this is something that I'm super passionate about. So um, it's a it's a it's a really interesting topic, and it and it's not dissimilar from the comments I was making about the pitch process, where it's something that's sort of run its course, and and we're actively as an agency trying to trying to change the model and and shape it into something that's more appropriate for today. And I think we're also very, very actively trying to shape the compensation model. The uh, origins of compensation in this agency are ones of commission. Um, that was sort of proved to be obsolete in the 80s, and it, there be, be, 
became a, uh, a fee-based business. Mm-hmm. Our bias has always been that we don't really believe this is a labor-based business, that we don't sell service. It's not a service industry. We're in a product business. We produce a highly differentiated product. We produce intellectual property, and that we should be treated much more in parallel with people that produce products and people that produce uh, intellectual property. So their right as a foundation is a very, very definitive line that you've drawn, which says, I don't want to be paid for my time. I want to be paid for, for what I do. And, and that's really what, what we're about, is we want to be paid for the contributions we make to, to a business. And so we've taken that another step, which is not only do we want to be, and so you know, we, that's how we, we typically uh, value our, our services that way, but then we also say we want to be a, a part of bringing momentum to your brand. And if this does work, and, and we're willing to, to put our skin in the game as well, but if it does work, um, we, we would love to take some risk and potentially share in the upside with you if there is upside that's, that's created. And, uh, and so we're very actively looking to do that, and we believe that that's a lot of where this industry is going. And, and you know, if you look at intellectual property, that's typically how intellectual property is valued, is you know, if you buy an image uh, or a, a clip from a film or a song or anything like that that's intellectual property and you use it, you reuse it, and you decide to use it on to forever, I will, as the creator of that, will benefit from it. And so we're mm-hmm. exploring different ways in which we can kind of combine some of that logic. logic. But, it, but the, uh, the point about it, I think the biggest thing to take away is that it really is uh, a place which is very much in it, within this business. It's at its infancy in uh, how it is evolving. And I think things like uh, plans for clients which are, are not necessarily based on um, paid media, whereas you know, a lot of the compensation models have dealt with media and how much media are you buying as one of the drivers of trying to sort out how much to pay the agency. Well, if you've got something which has zero media because it's going to be distributed virally, but a large amount in production, how do you value that? And if it's not time and if it's not as a percent of the media... You know, a lot of these typical ways in which the, the, uh, the industry is operated and, and, and companies have associated with agencies are just being proven wrong. And I, that, for us, is the fun of it. The fun of it is being on the front edge of helping clients because clients want to solve this as well. It's not just an agency problem. Clients are frustrated by it and, and feeling that they're not getting value and they want to actively solve these too. So that's part of the fun of it. That's the fun of it. And there you have it. And that's the fun of it. So we are going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, maybe we'll uh, talk a little bit about our clients. Cool. Okay. We're back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook. We'll be back after this short break. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PR Web was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PR Web has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PR Web is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PR Web is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. PR Web. 
Now, experience the future of web design and development with a whole new level of efficiency, expressiveness, and simplified workflow. Introducing Studio 8, a compilation of the latest releases from Dreamweaver, Flash Professional, Fireworks, Contribute, and Flash Paper. Sure to inspire you to create superior online video sites and mobile content. And now, through this exclusive webmasterradio.fm offer, listeners can save a whopping $100 off Studio 8. Visit the online store at adobe.com or contact Adobe Customer Services and provide promo code Webmaster Radio in order to receive your discount. Studio 8, your way to create. Google AdSense, how do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. Webmasterradio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates. Webmasterradio.fm We're everywhere. Flashback, November 2004. A brand new radio station launched onto the World Wide Web. That station was WebmasterRadio.fm. Today, Webmaster Radio is one of the fastest growing internet media outlets in the world. The world. Webmaster Radio boasts one of the most respected talk radio lineups in the internet business world. Danny Sullivan, Chris Tall, Susan Brett, Jim Hedger, Barry Schwartz, Jeremy Shoemaker, Ryan and Jeffrey Eisenberg, Greg Nyland, Katie Kempner. We travel coast to coast to bring you the most extensive and detailed live coverage of the most high profile trade shows in the world. Ad tech, search engine strategy, RSA, Webmaster World, DMA, Ecom Expo. And we have brought you keynote speeches and interviews of some of the biggest influential names in business today. Eric Schmidt, Andrew Hayward, Barry Diller, John Patel, Keith Barraza, and way too many others to mention. Our live programming and on-demand podcasting keeps the B2B world informed. We are WebmasterRadio.fm, and we're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, we're back. I'm Katie I want Kepner. my own radio show. Who do I have to call <laughs> to get my show? This is the coolest thing ever. See, I, I'm just creating competition for myself. Yeah. Just take this one. Go ahead. Pretty neat. I like the name. You got that cool sound thing happening. The cool sound. Yeah, the hook. Nice. Yeah. I tried to have it so when I walk around the agency, the cool sound will go first. That's the woman from the hook. Yeah. Hey. No. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about our clients, but before we do that, we were talking about approaches that are, you know, unique CPB approaches. And there were just a few more things I wanted to ask you because people are always asking me, and now I can just play this snippet I want to have to answer. Yeah. So straight from the horse's mouth, 
so to speak. Mm-hmm. You, know. you know, one of the things that we're known for and when people write about us, they talk about is our, our holistic approach to advertising. Can you talk about that and, and what it means for our clients? Yeah, it, it gets, you know, it's not about what we love to do. It's, it's what is working in the, in the marketplace. And, and it kind of, I guess, if you, if you go back, um, in 1997, we won the Truth Account. And that was against an audience that was, you know, 12, 11, 13-year-olds. And it was about the topic of anti-tobacco. And what we realized at that time, so this is 10 years ago, when we started doing some really, you know, down and dirty ethnographic research with this target, is we saw how they were using media. And they were using media and they were merging media and they were watching television while they were playing video games and talking on the telephone all at the same time. And we were kind of drawn to this. And we said, this is a, a, a cohort of people that is really digesting and adapted to using media in ways that are very, very different. And they had incredibly just incredibly well-developed hair triggers for bullshit. And uh, can I say that? It's the internet. You can say whatever you want. Good. Um, So they have just incredibly strong uh, triggers that that go off when when people, you know, bore them or, or alienate them, and they don't watch them, and they don't interact with those brands. And so we saw this, and what we realized was in order to win this, we had to create content. We had to do two things. First is we had to create content that was so relevant or interesting and motivating that consumers wouldn't want to live without it. And that was the first thing. We had to raise the bar. We had to be the, the dominant medium that they would opt into from their video game or their telephone call or whatever else they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, and then secondly was we had to be all the places they were. We had to participate in their video game. We had to participate in, you know, uh, online, which was just emerging at this time. And we had to be all in all of these different mediums if we were ever, ever, ever going to have a chance to, uh, to bridge the gap of, of becoming um, relevant for those consumers and have that message resonate with those consumers. And so that was really the beginning. This is a crazy long-winded uh, explanation, but that, it, that was really the beginning. And so we developed this approach around those consumers. And then when we went and we started marketing Mini, we brought that so, sort of uh, holistic approach with us. And we said, we want to surround this vehicle. You know, this vehicle has very uh, limited budgets relative to what happens in the car category. So for us, it's you know, just as important that the website matches the advertising, that it matches the, the CRM pieces that you're sent in the mail when you um, could, you know, when you configure a vehicle online and um, how the dealer interacts with you and what the showroom personnel are wearing. And all of these were really, really important consumer touch points, and we wanted to be involved in all of them, and we wanted to shape all of them. And so that's just kind of what we've – and it worked there. Mm-hmm. So we've taken that, and we've continued to sort of take those learnings and refine them and adapt them as we've seen adaptations and additions to the media environment. But that that approach of understanding that it's not one medium that's going to – you know, could deliver the knockout punch anymore. It's this holistic, sort of seamless, integrated approach that is really um, what separates successful brands and brands with momentum from brands that don't have momentum. Let me ask you a question. I mean, as a uh, graduate of Harvard Business School and someone that's looked at a lot of case studies over time, uh, uh, what business lessons do you think CPB's growth, uh, that businesses can take away from CPB's growth? Yeah, th- I guess there are a couple. Um, the, f- the first is we're incredibly fanatical about the culture of this place, and to the point that we put the culture of our uh, agency above all else. And, and it's, it seems kind of when you tell a client that, well, my, you know, dealing with my culture is more important than dealing with your brand, it seems sort of um, 
self-interested and, and selfish. And I, the way to, that I always explain it is if, if I don't take care and nurture this place, I'm not going to have anything to, 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 to offer to you. And I won't be able to provide the service to you that, that you want and to help create the momentum you want for your brand. If this is not a healthy, invigorated culture, um, it just won't, you know, we won't have anything of value. You won't call me. And so the first thing I need to do is to protect my, um, my asset, which is this, this asset of incredibly talented, motivated, passionate people. And what protects them and, and, and insulates them is, is great opportunities and, and great culture. And so that's the, that's the, the first thing. And I think that the second, so focusing on cultures is the first thing. And I think the second thing, and we've been, been really, um, and this is something I've sort of learned, I didn't bring this with me, this is I've learned from, from that the agency had, but mm-hmm. was, was just a, a real uh, a fanaticism and a belief that all revenue is not equal, that some revenue comes attached to business which is destructive to the culture and to the agency. And or work that's not motivating and not not pleasant. And you make choices in business every day, and you get presented with different types of opportunities. It doesn't not just advertising, but business opportunities come with different things attached. They come attached with with other companies and cultures of those companies, and you have to choose and pick which ones of those you want to be associated with, and which ones are going to best nurture and and develop and encourage the the culture you're trying to grow. And so we've been very very deliberate about doing a lot of due diligence and being uh, very precise in deciding where we want to be involved and where we don't want to be involved. And it's not just about the money. We've been made a lot of decisions which are very counterintuitive as it relates to money because we've chosen to be in the places that are going to be more motivating to the culture and more motivating to the work of the agency and the producing a highly differentiated creative product than necessarily just being in the places where we're going to get paid a lot because it's one thing to get paid a lot, but it's a pretty short-lived proposition if it doesn't come with work that's interesting and, and makes you want to get up in the morning. And, and I want to get up in the morning, too. I mean, it's part, part, part of it's selfish. It's, I want to love what we do. And, you know, in order to love what you do, you got to work on things that you feel passionate about. Well, let's talk a little bit about CPB culture, because, I mean, to me, that is the most, that is the most important thing to finding a place where you really want to be is being around people that you really enjoy working with. And I think that, you know, you you joined the agency right after I did, and we were really small, and I'm sure you remember the Scottish gift exchanges mm-hmm. at Bob Van Horn's house, and then we got a little bit bigger than that, and the first time we had our real Christmas party at Grove Isle, and bigger and bigger, and, you know, and now we've been growing a lot faster, and I know that you take very seriously how to maintain our culture as it grows, and although it we maintain it, it has to change and be fluid as more and more people are added to this thing. So how can you do, I mean, I think that's a question that a lot of people in growing businesses must ask. How can you retain the culture as, as we grow? Yeah, the, I, think, I think that's a great, uh, really great question. It's something that we, we uh, spend a lot of time thinking about it, and we, you know, we do an okay job. You know, I think you could always do a better job. Um, I, I think it's kind of Did understanding. Did you just yawn? I, no, I just started thinking about it because I was just there's so many things you could say, and I was like, where do we want to go with this? But there, there's. I think you have to think a little bit about what is your culture, and I think what really defines this culture is a uh, is a anti corporate sort of attitude, a incredible uh, dedication and bias towards um, producing highly highly effective end products and highly differentiated work. And a uh, a real premium on 
on accomplishing things through intelligence as well as, and more importantly, through perseverance, just working your ass off till you get the right solution. And so those are the things that really drive this culture. And so those are the things which I believe we've been able to really maintain, you know, from 40 people to 400 to 600, whatever. We've kept those, those pieces very true. I think people sometimes get confused about culture and think culture is a party, and the, we, the parties don't feel the same, and walking the halls doesn't feel the same. But walking the halls and going to agency parties is not culture. Um, culture, I think, are those more, um, more, more deeply rooted decisions companies make in terms of, well, what is your identity? What are the kinds of businesses you're going to be in? How do you treat people? Um, you know, and, and I think we've, those places, the, the ways we've treated people, the way we've compensated people, rewarded people, encouraged, all of that, nothing's changed all along. Um, mm-hmm. The scale of it's changed, the, you know, whatever, the this and that has changed, the specifics of it have changed, but the principles of it, it's like, well, if someone contributes, they get, you know, they get rewarded. Someone um, is, a, you know, important to this business, we want them to get the credit and to be seen as a, a contributor. And it's just, how, how do you continue, you know, to treat people like that, I think, is, are the places that we really spend a lot of time thinking about. And not the parties. <laughs> yeah. We think about the parties, but the party today is not going to feel, and I, and, and I just think people get kind of sentimental about that, like, oh, that's Scottish Gift Exchange, and I think that's great. <laughs> and I miss the Scottish Gift Exchange, too. But I think, Scott, you know, it's a mistake and think that then what are you going to do, have, have you know, a hundred different small Scottish gift exchanges in a hundred different people's homes. That, you know, that to me, it doesn't necessarily answer the, the, the problem. The problem is not size. The problem is, is there a culture that's worth, worth having and protecting? And I think there is, and we protect it and, um, and look for it to live in different and new ways. And, you know. Well, you know, I think that's an excellent point because what you're really saying, if I may attempt but to paraphrase sure you'll say it better. Yeah, no, please. But what you're really saying is that you need to embrace change. And although, you know, we're not going back to Bob Van Horn's house to have a Scottish gift exchange, yeah. that doesn't mean that the the culture that did that can't move on to do other things on a bigger level. And I think exactly. that's great. You know, it's a and great point. And I think point. that's the thing people have really gotten fired up about this place is, you know, it's like, well, you know, why do we want to grow then? Is growth that important if it's not for the money? Well, no, it's not. we're not taking on bigger accounts for the money. We're taking on bigger accounts because they provide cooler, more interesting challenge, marketing challenges, and they provide a different theater and a different landscape in which we can do our work and see us, you know, how we impact cultural change in a very different way, in a different, in a different theater than in which we've been involved before. And that's, I think, the same, same sort of thing here is people – those sorts of challenges and, and the same thing about, about culture. People want to feel that evolution. Now, that kind of segues. See, the one thing I'm not very good at, and maybe when you have your own show you'll be better yeah. at this, yeah. is segues. That should be the name of my show. <laughs> segues? The segue. You could have it since Alex named my show. It'd only be fair. But you'd have to make it segues with Jeff Hicks. Yeah, Alex exactly. says you have to, like, brand it right the there. Hook in the, with Katie right, the hook with Katie Kempner. Segway, right after segues with Jeff Hicks. Uh, no, see, now I can't even remember what I was going to say. I just got to think of a format. I don't know what the hell I'm going to talk about, though. That's I'm, I got the name. Well, we have that. From there, what where I, do we go? What I was going to say, if I can try to pull myself together, uh, is you had said before, I mean, you were talking a little bit really about what motivates the agency, and you had said part of your motivation is selfish because you want to get up in the morning and enjoy what you do, which I assume you meant more than just you want to get up in the morning because most people would like that. Yeah, getting up is okay. But, I mean, 
you know, any way you look at it, you're, you're a huge success. You've been You've taken a very interesting path to get to a place that a lot of people would really like to get to. What what motivates you? That's a great. Uh, I mean, I said I don't believe. Well, first, I think I, I don't believe that the agency yet is a giant success, and I don't believe that I am personally. I think in and and maybe others would say we we have had some success, but I really believe the agency is just at its infancy of what it can be, and I think that um, that sort of. Uh, maybe it's it's sort of naivete, but I believe I I think that's sort of not believing that um, we've really arrived or that the agency is contributing yet what we believe it can contribute to the world of advertising to the world of marketing um, is what keeps us going. And I think there's a uh, you know we still I mean we're working on some things which which not to talk about here but things that in in 2007 that could continue to further and I think kind of like. Uh, on, in a seismic way, change the change the industry and how the industry is has typically been set up and how agencies have been set up, and that's the fun of it is is looking at how how do you tweak the model and change the model and and that's what motivates me is is continuing to look at this. You know, we look at everything and we try to harvest what works, and then we look and say, well, what are the pieces that don't work? And there are always you know things you can find that need to evolve that haven't evolved enough and. And that's what you know. We spend our time on is trying to figure out within our own industry. Well, there are things that are outdated. There, you know, there are legacy systems and legacy people and you know, legacy companies that have just hung on and hung on. You know, not out of merit, but just out of their you know the place that they've they've uh, sort of sort of earned at the table. And and mm-hmm. the world has moved on. And you know, those legacy situations and legacy companies were organized and thought of at a time when people weren't listening to Internet radio. You know, so it's like, here we are. We're on the medium in which we're talking about, and this is the future. And, and, uh, and companies that aren't organized and thinking about it and, and, and involved in the creation of this new model are going to be, and are being, left behind. And you see it in the agency business uh, where there's just a lot of confusion and a lot of underperforming agencies right now because people are, are perplexed and they don't, necessarily know they're not actively solving the problem they're just trying to deal with the problems they've got right now okay how's this for a segue this this one's going to be good so then going forward building on what you just said going forward if you could say one thing you know pinpoint one thing is the biggest challenge that advertising agencies or, or the industry is facing right now what would you what would you say that it is wow the biggest challenge advertising Man, there's so, there's so many. Um, well, you I, don't I'm, have to I'm limit it to pick, one. I'm going to limit. Uh, also, I'll pick the one. But I think one of the the biggest challenges is how do agencies get properly compensated for what they what they do? And it and, uh, it seems funny coming from someone that just finished saying that we're not in this business to make money. But I think unfortunately, you know, you, unless you're getting paid fairly for the work you're doing, you can't hire uh, and retain great people, and you can't encourage great people to want to stay and be a part of doing what what you're doing and I think so the one of the so it you know you can't motivate and protect culture unless you're you're unless that's you've got the front end working and I think the front end is is continues to be pretty broken in this business um we've just got a lot of you know every day we we interact with clients in major 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 you know fortune 50 companies mm-hmm. that are still operating in in some pretty um antiquated ways as it relates to, to advertising and how they pay agencies and how they uh, sort of respect that. And as the bar gets raised, and this is, it's not about us wanting more money. It's about 
here's the here's the reality right now. Your consumer is is moving to a different place. We're moving to a model where they need to opt into your marketing. So what does that mean? It means you can't just interrupt them. You can't just throw commercials out there, give them free programming, and and count on the fact that they're going to watch them and you're going to be able to produce awareness and and you know change mindsets about your brand. So now the the game is you need to be one of the millions and millions of contributors to imagine YouTube. You know, you need to be one of the millions of millions of contributors to YouTube. And how are you going to get consumers to opt into your one message amongst the, the needle within that haystack of YouTube, you know, to have a meaningful interaction with your brand? And so that means you need to have something that's so compelling and, and uh, entertaining and useful that, that consumers won't want to live without it. And that raising of that bar means... You've got to get Steven Spielberg-like talent to be creating it if you're going to have a chance at having someone opt into your um, opt into your marketing materials. And so, if you need to get you know incredibly talented people involved in it, you got to be able to give them ownership of some of that intellectual property. You got to be able to you know give them a, a stake in it and, and upside in it and participate with them in a different way than paying them by the hour. Because you may know better than me, but I don't think uh, you know Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg work by the hour, you know, <laughs> and I just think that's the, you know, I'm not saying we're at nearly in anything like at that level, but we're moving to a world which is not unlike cinema, where every, you know, every Friday, five new movies launch and consumers vote, and they decide which one they think is the most interesting, and then they opt into that movie, and that is where the transaction takes place, and we're moving to a world, not yet there, but we're moving to a world where consumers are going to opt into marketing, and then we're, you know, just, just, at a, a fundamental uh, leveling of this playing field with entertainment. And it's a, it's a neat new world that we're moving to, and we love it, and we embrace it, and we're racing to get there. But uh, it does require some changes. Now, going forward, I, I have just one more question that I want to ask you, and then, then we'll move on going forward, about media buying companies. I mean, how is their place in this industry going to change? I know at CPB we spend uh, – we really insist that we're part of the planning and not necessarily always the buying, if it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And I know media buying companies, some of them are trying to set up their own internal agencies to, re- to remain relevant. And how about I stop talking about it since I asked you, no, and you tell me question. your thoughts. It's a huge, huge, very, very uh, um, moving and active part of the industry right now. Uh, here's a prediction. I, I mean, I, I don't think media buying companies as we know them today will exist in uh, 10 to 15 years. And I think there, there's going to be a real uh, metamorphosis with those where they will become much more like, um, like, uh, like software providers um, for and sort of back-ends for creative agencies because the, the reality is you can no longer decouple uh, creative and media. I sit on uh, the board of advisors for TiVo, and we were sitting there looking at a bunch of commercial uh, units and commercial partnerships, which TiVo was doing with all of their, um, across their whole platform. And every one of those media units that they showed was different. Every one of them, totally custom, totally unique, totally different, appropriate for the client on their strategy, re- requiring different creative uh, types of interactions, and all, you know, opting into different websites in different ways, and just all very, very interesting and very and very unique. This is a world in which media buying agencies cannot operate. When you're getting paid a, a small 
single-digit percent for media, you want the media to be as commodity-like and, and, and as like as possible. You want it to be a commodity. And we're moving to a world where media is going to become less and less of a commodity and more of a, a custom type of piece. And so when you have custom media, custom media needs to have much more integrated interaction with creative. And so that is, is one piece where I really see this there's a shakeup that's coming. And I, don't, I mean, those are very powerful companies and very smart people running them. And I mean, there's a, there are solutions that will occur, but I think there's going to be much more of a melding of creative and media than you see right now in the industry. Good. That was really a little bit, you know, out there. I like that. Very interesting answer. Well, you heard it here first. So we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more with uh, Jeff Hicks. We'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Best of the Web, the Internet's oldest directory, EOTW.org, since 1994. Our editors scour the web, finding quality sites, providing users with spam-free resources, relevant information from valuable sites. Submit your site now for a guaranteed review in three days or less. For webmasters needing additional exposure, check out our 60-day free trial on category sponsorships. 60 days free advertising. No kidding. And don't forget the Best of the Web's reseller program with the industry's highest commissions, 25% recurring commission on all products and services. Bloggers, make sure to check out the BOTW blog directory and the recently launched volunteer editor program to help build the best blog resource on the web. Wow. I never saw anyone fish with such a wide net before. Oh, really? I don't like fishing with a pole. Can't catch the big ones fast enough. No kidding. You've got a bunch. Yeah, I know. This wide net gives me great distribution and reach. Really? How's it work? Well, fish like to move around to various parts of the lake, so by casting a wide net, I gather fish from everywhere they congregate. Wow, that's pretty smart. Thanks. Wide nets work. And they make you look smart. If you're looking to cast a wider net and fish where the fish are, Look Smart Advertising Solutions can help. Go to signup.looksmart.com to learn more. 3 a.m. traveling to a conference in Oklahoma City. Steve Talbot's Ford Escort radiator hose bursts near the town of Hooker. He types Hooker Escort Hookup into another local search engine's one-box search. He has a great time that he can't expense. TrueLocal.com. Two boxes. One click. Great results. Katie Kempner. Katie Kempner. May I have your attention, please? Katie Kempner. Katie Kempner. Just a little bit about the hook. The hook. The hook. What I hope to do with The Hook is to give you the chance to hear what my friends and colleagues are thinking about doing and doing and doing. People in the marketing, PR, advertising industries right on the forefront and including people that cover these industries. So what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is help you make your job easier. What I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is join me each week two 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 o'clock on Tuesdays Tuesday. Intersection of advertising and PR. Katie is on the real Katie. Girl, you want the slim Katie? So just demonstrating. So want the real slim Katie? Please stand up. Please stand up. Please stand up. Cause I'm slim Katie. Yes, I'm the real Katie. Girl, you want the slim Katie? So just demonstrating. So want the real slim Katie? Please stand up. Please stand up. Please stand up. Right here. Right here. Right here. Katie, Katie, Katie. Right here. Right here. Right here. Katie, 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 Katie. On WebmasterRadio.fm. On the
Want a hot pod? Load it with webmasterradio.fm and play with us all day long. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, I'm Katie Kempner. Welcome back. And we are talking to my boss and the CEO of Kristen Porter and Bogusky, Jeff Hicks. Jeff, hello. Hello, hello, hello. So now, I can't believe this. We're actually running out of time. No, we, we still have Could we do one more hour, please? <laughs> I'm just so, you know, touched that you agreed to sit still for I love this. I love this. This is the most fun I've had all day. Wait, it gets better. No. Oh, good. This is the big stumper question <laughs> coming right the here. big finale. Uh-oh. I wanted to just talk a little bit about our, cli- <laughs> our clients and maybe some stuff we're doing with them. I mean, just... Just a couple of clients that people are very interested in, Volkswagen. Can you talk a little bit about what's on the horizon in 2007 for Volkswagen? Yeah, yeah, the great, all kinds of cool stuff. We just finished showing a bunch of new work that is going to run in first quarter of uh, next year. Can't get into too much detail on, on what it is, but the uh, the good thing for for Volkswagen is the brand is really, we're seeing all kinds of indications of a real strong reconnection with uh, culture again. You know, I mean, this is a brand which is, not only had amazing, amazing advertising that so many great agencies have been a part of um, in the recent history as well as in the you know longer term history, um, but but just this has been a brand that has had an amazing position in terms of being differentiated and and connected with pop culture, and <laughs> we're seeing all kinds of and it's not just us saying this. This is research telling us that the brand is really excuse me beginning to reconnect, and you're seeing those uh, those those attachments and the interest among consumers and the, the differentiation that this is, it's a car brand, it's an affordable car brand, but it's an affordable car brand that's a little different. It's a little bit more interesting, a little bit more, has a little different sense of humor, um, you know, and, and is a little bit more my style. And when you talk to uh, young adults, you're starting to hear that. And, and that for us is uh, an incredible, and it's sending them into the dealerships. We know that's what matters most is the dealers are busier now than they were a year ago, and, and we're very, very proud of that. And Volkswagen will finish this calendar year at the end of this month, hopefully having sold more cars than they sold last year, and they're on pace to do that now. So all of these things are, are really great. And, you know, the mission for, for Volkswagen is just to keep, keep doing this into the next year and, and keep doing it with the launch of some new vehicles and just keeping the pressure on because it's not, you know, as we've been saying here all along, it's not one ad. It's a a succession of interactions with consumers, and the biggest and most important of which is product. So we're spending a lot of time talking to them about, you know, the products that come over here and and how we uh, deliver those to consumers and present those to consumers so that they're, you know, continuing to help us differentiate the brand. Okay, real quick, Burger King. Burger King, Burger King, a personal favorite, um, a brand I grew up eating a lot of and still do, so I, I love this one. Um, Burger King is uh, is on fire. I had an amazing uh, calendar year this year. You know, the business is now, uh, I think the total is nine quarters in which the business has been up in a row, which is the first time in 18 years or some giant uh, number like that. But the business continues to just rock along um, in a really good way. And, you know, and this is... Uh, coming after three years, you know, like the Volkswagen business, I believe, when we started was down 37% over the last five years, and, you know, the Burger King business was down um, even more than that uh, when we took over the Burger King business three years ago. So the Burger King brand is, is 
you know, getting back to, to the levels of where it was. But the interesting thing is it's still um, much smaller on a per-unit basis than McDonald's. And so there's enormous opportunity for this brand to, to grow here in this country, and we're doing a lot of work outside of the country as well. So in Europe, where we're really, really active in continental Europe and um, as well as in the U.K., and, and all kinds of success going on there and the repositioning of the brand and all of those places and the introduction of Have It Your Way and some of the great uh, advertising icons like the king, the creepy king is everyone uh, who I meet. <laughs> the creepy says, Are you king. the guy behind that creepy king? And, uh, and not literally, but yes, I I'm the guy from the the place that helped helped make him. But um, so we're we're having a lot of success taking characters like that around, and you know, just continuing to just it's one step at a time on all of these, and we're putting putting the the things in place so that 2007 is a great year for all of these clients, and hopefully that will make it a great year for us as well. Now, here's my last question, and we kind of touched on it before because you asked, I asked you to talk about what motivates you. But I'm wondering, if you, do you have any advice for somebody who's listening who may be starting out or may not be happy in their job that has helped guide you in your career? I guess the, the, the one thing I, I always tell people is, is, you know, you can't fake it. You, you have to love what you do. Um, so so do, the, do the homework and, and do the due diligence to really find yourself um, a field and a group of people and a company and all those uh, pieces that really line up with who you are, you know, to the core, spiritually. You want to be in a place where you think, wow, this is home. This feels, feels right to me because you just can't, you can't fake it. And I think too many people and too many people have unsatisfying professional experiences because they do try to, try to do, be someone they're not, and, uh, and that's just impossible. So if you acknowledge that right at the outset, then I, I think it, it, it does put you in a, in a little different uh, mindset. And then if you do choose and you think, wow, advertising or marketing is something that's interesting to me, then do the homework on it. You know, I mean, people come in here all the time and for interview, and I'm always surprised. I mean, a lot of them are amazing, and, and uh, most of them are amazing, but some of them do come in and they're very unprepared. And it's always been surprising to me that people don't prepare more for job interviews. I mean, if you're going to come in, you're going to talk to someone about a field, you know, have read, read the industry publications about that field, read the newspaper sections that deal with that field, and know what's happening in the current events, and know the big books that have been written, and read those. And, you know, if you're really into it and you're a student of advertising, you know, you can talk about all the same things we want to talk about and that we're students of. And, and I would say just, you know, that's, again, something you can't fake. So if you're not interested in that, don't, don't read it, but find the field in which you are interested, you, you know, and, and find your, you know, follow your passions, and that's always worked for me. Jeff, thank you so much for talking with me thank today. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. I will always come back to the hook. Good, because we didn't get to uh, all the questions. I, I have know, many I know. more for I, you. I talk too much. <laughs> no, no. I get so excited about this stuff. It's not fair. I'm sorry. It's unfair to you. You spend all this time, great questions, and then I monopolize all the time. Okay, you heard it here. We're going to have a part two, but please there join me next week when I talk to marketing editor for Business Week, Burt Helm. Thanks. Have a great day.
USA Radio Network News, Charlie Serafin reporting. Critics of the Iraq study group are calling the recipe for disaster. But committee co-chair James Baker defends his recommendations. On NBC's Meet the Press, Baker said it would be wrong to rely more heavily on the military to solve Iraq's problems. We're not going to win this war militarily. We're going to win it.